You're listening to the Gov Future podcast, highlighting discussions and insights around innovative technology impacting the public sector. Hear from experts working with and inside the government on ways that technology is shaping the future of the public sector. On this episode, we talk to Guy Cavallo, Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Office of Personnel Management, OPM. We discuss strategies to break down technology silos and foster better data interoperability, as well as ways in which the OPM is ensuring secure and ethical data handling within OPM and across federal agencies. We also discuss how technologies like AI are becoming more integrated into cybersecurity practices. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Gov Future Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Walsh. And if this is your first time listening to the Gov Future Podcast, welcome and we're thankful. We're, we're thankful that you found us and that you're listening to this episode. We encourage you to subscribe to the GovFuture Podcast if you haven't done so already, so you can get notified of all of our upcoming episodes. The Gov Future Podcast is the place to go if you want to hear interviews with public sector thought leaders, insights into how governments are adopting transformative technologies, and also conversations on key topics focusing um, and helping our listeners stay ahead of what's happening in the public sector. And if you're not familiar with GovFuture, we are a membership community of government innovators. You can learn more at govfuture.com, and I'll link to that in the show notes as well. But on the podcast, we try and bring together folks from all different aspects and areas of the innovation ecosystem and public sector, because folks have so much to learn from each other. And so this podcast is one way to help bring those communities together for collaboration and sharing of ideas and to learn more about what's going on. So for today's podcast, we're so excited to have with us Guy Cavallo, who is the Chief Information Officer and Acting Chief AI Officer at the U.S. Office of Personnel Management, OPM. So welcome, Guy, and thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thanks. So glad to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited for this discussion today. We'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and what you do at OPM. All right. Yes, the, uh, start with the background. I, I've, I've split my career almost evenly between the private sector and, and uh, working for government, uh, both federal government. And I actually was the IT director for the city of Charlotte, North Carolina back uh 20 years ago. So I've seen government from all areas. Uh, I have a passion that we need to leverage technology to improve the delivery of government services to our citizens. Again, whether it's state, city, or federal level, uh, definitely at OPM, with us being responsible for all federal retirees and responsible for a lot of the hiring of federal employees. Uh, the last three years, I've been working to greatly improve those processes as much as we can. And uh, we're starting to see the fruits of that labor. But uh, overall, I, I've, I've been had a, a very incredible career to be on the leading edge of technology wherever I've worked. And now with artificial intelligence uh, blowing up overnight, um, another uh, great change to go through. Yeah, and it'll be exciting to see where this goes. You know, we've been covering AI for many a number of years. And with generative AI in the past year in particular, I think that it's just really exploded. And now it's at the fingertips of everyone. And we say it's crossed the chasm 
with technology, where it's really now in general adoption stage. So we're we're really uh, excited to see where things go. And of course, with AI, if folks you know know anything about AI, they know that data is the heart of AI, and so you really can't do anything unless you have data. Um, and it's so foundational for so many things, yet the federal government often struggles with data silos. So what strategies are you implementing to break down these silos and foster better uh, data interoperability? Uh, definitely one of our biggest strategies. And uh, I partnered with our chief data officer to develop OPM's first uh, data strategy uh, after I had my team release our first IT strategic plan in over 10 years. Uh, moving to uh, the cloud is, uh, is the first part of our data platform. We believe that's the most effective way to be able to use AI dashboards or anything else like that uh, available. Uh, but you are right, the government loves data silos. Uh, the, you know, over time, vendors have sold uh, very specific solutions with their own silos. Uh, the government's implemented their own solutions with silos. Uh, I always like to ask a, an organization, if somebody wanted to update their address in your agency, how many databases would they have to have updated? Uh, you know, a lot of times the, the, the IT shop has automated updating a bunch of them at once, but wouldn't it be better if we had a master database that could be updated once and shared across many applications. Uh, I think one of the things that's helping uh, government break down those silos is just the tremendous uh, advancements in analytics and dashboarding to make the data much more easier to see. And people are now, um, I would say it's expanded the number of people that want, well, my data is great, but it would be even so much better if I also had other data uh, and so I, I'm seeing an explosion of the data visualizations across multiple data topics, and that's forcing uh, program offices or whoever owns the silos to start thinking about why uh, why don't I share my data with everyone else? So <clears throat> I really think it you know it's a combination of the cloud technology makes it easier. Uh, the the use of uh, visualization and dashboards really makes a demand that you have more than just a siloed set of data. So uh, I think we're at a at a good uh, point for agencies to look at it. Again, what we're doing at OPM is we're looking at all of our data sets and what can we do to consolidate them and be able to share uh, amongst our own program offices versus having silos. Yeah, I mean, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, however you want to look at it, this isn't just unique to the government, right? Organizations have it too. So this really is, you know, a pain point that that everybody who works with data, I think, feels at one point in their career. And, you know, we talk a lot about IT modernization and data sharing really is critical for successful IT modernization. And with data sharing comes other things as well, like data governance, and you need to make sure you're following best practices. So how are you ensuring secure and ethical data handling within OPM and across federal agencies as you are looking to broaden that data sharing? Uh, definitely a very good question. It, it's something that you know we've gone in the last 20 years from 
shipping CD-ROMs that had PII data in them through the U.S. mail to people. Well, that's not a good idea, so let's copy it to a USB drive, you know, which is usually about the size of a car key that somehow gets misplaced. Um, you know, the need to interchange data has always been there, but I think we're uh, with the um, stronger use of the chief privacy officer and collaboration with that, I'm seeing agencies really uh, taking more of that firm stand that this is sensitive data, we can't just ship it around. Um, one of the email breach, one of the breaches I heard about recently was somebody sending an Excel spreadsheet unencrypted through email that had PII data. So as tools have evolved, people have found well, that's a lot easier than getting a CD-ROM produced and mailing it or copying the USB drive. But um, a big part of it is we have to educate the end users and not uh, not have them take the easy way out, but make sure that we're protecting sensitive data. Uh, I think you know having a good data governance committee, having uh, training and specific instructions for your employees when. When I got to OPM, we had about six different tools that we used to exchange data with other agencies, and we're consolidating down to one tool so that it's easier for us to monitor. It's easier for everyone to know this is the way that you're going to exchange data with OPM. Um, and that's a pet peeve of mine. I, when, you know, when I leave the federal government to go to the private sector, one of the biggest differences is that I don't see the private sector buying five or six tools that do the same thing but unfortunately in the government that tends to be our pattern or this was the tool we bought in the 80s this is the one we bought in the 90s this is the one that we bought in the uh, 2020s and those old tools are still around i think uh you know consolidating that and reducing the number of ways you exchange into a monitored and cyber protected world is the best way to protect that pii data because we know we're all under attack continually uh, through cyber criminals, nation states, you name it, using very sophisticated tools. So we have to make sure we're taking the right steps whenever we exchange PII data. Yeah, those those were great insights, you know, and sometimes things seem basic, but people take shortcuts or they don't want to do it. <laughs> You know, a lot of people grumble and it's like maybe every year or two, depending on on where you work, that you're required to take, you know, privacy or uh, some of those training and people are like, oh, whatever. And they just rush through it. And I'm like, no, this is pretty critical <laughs> and core to like the safety of your systems internally. So please don't rush through this. Uh, so you need to incentivize people, right? And give them training because you're only as strong as your weakest link. So if you get that vulnerability and that attack in, and we've had other podcasts with folks um, from Coast Guard, and we had somebody from the city of Baltimore as well. Baltimore had a cyber attack a few mm -hmm. years ago, and it was pretty crippling to their systems. And other cities and, you know, local, local uh, municipalities have had this and, and larger ones as well. But um, it can really put you out of commission. And you can't just say, I'm sorry, we can't operate and like collect your trash and I don't know, have a court system and any other critical things that you need because you've been down. So uh, it really is important that people understand this and understand the impact that it can have and kind of that ripple down effect. So in light of some of these previous data breaches and cyber attacks as well, 
How should federal agencies approach incident response and what steps should be taken to improve their resilience against future attacks? Well, one thing I I, uh, I love the executive order on cybersecurity uh, that you know, has mandated uh, almost two years ago now that everything uh, be have encryption in transit. So we talk about not having on in, unencrypted PII data, encryption at rest, and phishing resistant multi-factor authentication. We are seeing uh, across the federal government, the biggest attack vector today is based on identity uh, identities being spoofed or, or stolen. Uh, it's not the old days where the hackers would send 10 million username and passwords against your accounts. Uh, what we what we've heard from other agencies and what we've seen ourselves is that you might have five, six, seven attempts a day, very slow. So you don't have that mass wave coming, which was a red flag. So you have to protect your identities and uh, the tools are there. Uh, said so if we get the entire federal government on board on the executive order and have phishing resistant multi-factor authentication, uh, the number I saw from one of our vendors was something like 98% of the successful cyber attacks would have been stopped with just phishing resistant multi-factor authentication. So uh, there's still way too many government systems that are username and password out there. Uh, we're doing a really good job at OPM to eliminate those and make sure that everything's available. You know, there are multiple tools available to us to use that. Uh, we're using GSA's login.gov as one of the ways that we can provide that to our citizens, uh, which also makes it easier for them if they work with OPM to apply for a job. They've already had a login.gov account, so they can continue to use that as they work with Treasury or other agencies. But uh, you have to be vigilant. Um, you know, we'll talk more about AI, but you know, today's cyber attacks have AI, are AI-based. And my recommendation to any agency is if your cyber tools are not using AI to defend you, you will lose. Uh, uh, humans can't keep up with the speed of sophisticated AI-generated cyber attacks. So you absolutely, whether you want to jump into AI or not, you at least need to jump in in the cyber area. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm like, you don't really have a choice anymore. Also, unfortunately, if your criminals you know, are using it, then you have to be using it or you're never going to win. Um, and we always say too, you know, with AI now, you can no longer believe what you hear, read, or see anymore because you just don't know what's the truth. And so that that can be quite scary. And as technologies like AI do become more integrated into cybersecurity practices, what are some of the challenges that you see that federal agencies should be aware of? Well, the ideal way to protect your agency, and this is part of the cybersecurity executive order, is to retain, is to obtain all the logs of all your systems. And uh, the problem in doing that is that costs money, and and uh, money that in today's budget climate is very hard to come by. Uh, when you look at it from delivering things for the citizens, it doesn't. It's not a new way to connect to the post office or a faster way to get through the airport through TSA. 
but it's a way that we can best protect all of our citizen data. And uh, it's not as shiny, but uh, that's one of the biggest issues is that the technology is there today to be able to capture and use AI on those logs. But the cost of doing that um, is something that no additional funding has been provided to the agencies to do. So like at OPM, we're having to not do other things to be able to pay for that logging because we know it's so important. Uh, and again, if an agency has not gotten to this point, highly recommend that you start looking at AI, especially in looking at logs of your systems, because again, you're looking at millions and millions and millions, <coughs> excuse me, of logs that a human just isn't going to be able to see a pattern. And that's the, you know, those are the type of things that AI does very, very well. And uh, again, it's not going to solve everything for you, but it, what you want to do is have AI point your cyber specialist that, hey, I think this is unusual. Take a look at it. Yeah, and I think that that's important. And that's why, you know, we like to have these podcasts and these discussions so that folks can learn from others. Because we always say, you know, don't reinvent the wheel. Your problems are not unique to just your group or your agency. Other people are going through this as well. Um, and you can learn from others. You know, everybody's on their journey. And so maybe you're a few steps ahead of somebody else or somebody else is a few steps ahead of you. So, you know, if folks are looking for these resources and, you know, collaboration opportunities, what do you recommend? Uh, you know, are there groups out there that they can talk to? Or have you seen some agencies really just moving forward and are, are somebody that, you know, folks should follow and look look after and see what they're doing? Uh, sure. There, uh, one thing that I really love about my team is that we, we share uh, with our peers, uh, you know, through the from the CISO community, uh, James Saunders, my CISO, will share, hey, we're, we're this much, you know, we might be a day ahead of somebody else, but if you're the one that's behind, knowing that somebody else has taken that day and that I can get there uh, is really helpful. Uh, you know, I attend the, the Federal CIO Council and the innovation meetings, and we share that way. Uh, our chief technology officer, which is vacant right now, we also would share through that and through the communities of practice with GSA. So uh, again, my recommendation to an agency is if you're not participating in those peer groups, you definitely should because you're going to find uh, that, you, like you said, you're not the only one in that boat and maybe somebody else has solved how to get there already. Uh, I know right now in my role as acting chief AI officer, uh, we're working on developing our draft policies on how we're going to manage and maintain AI and OPM. I have the choice of sitting down and writing from scratch the first word, or what I've done is I've gone to my peers and said, hey, if anybody has a draft policy, can you share it so that we can get the best uh, ideas? And again, we might have gotten there, but if we can share and learn and do it that much faster, it's at, uh that much of a benefit. Yeah, that's that's great. You know, we always say if you're starting with a blank page, you're probably doing something wrong, right? <laughs> <laughs> Don't start with a blank page. So nice to hear that that's your philosophy as well. Now, looking ahead, especially now with your unique role of being chief information officer and acting chief AI officer, where, you know, you really get to see that impact. 
What are some of the top technological priorities for OPM in the next few years, and how is that going to impact the agency? Uh, you hit two keys there. First of all, uh, as much as I love new technology, if it doesn't help improve our mission or our business function, it's something for me to do at home, but not in the office. Uh, everything that we're tackling right now is uh, through technology is to benefit the delivery of our mission and our business offices. Uh, I, I'm at an agency that still has 40-year-old COBOL running to, uh, to, to, to manage our retirees. Uh, well, we're at the point where I have two choices. I can grab a development team and say, start this system using a modern language, get that blank page, and take however long it takes to rewrite this whole application. Or is AI at the point that I can have AI look at our legacy code and help rewrite it? And uh, we actually are experimenting with that right now uh, because there are options to do that. So anytime we look at technology, it's gonna be, can it speed up our modernization effort or improve our services? We're taking opm.gov, our, our, our main website is a legacy hosted in a physical data center on-premise application. We're taking that to the cloud. One reason to do that is so that we can uh, leverage AI as part of our chatbots to be able to help people find things. Uh, something I always um, offer to other agencies, and, and I see so many of us do this wrong. When websites were designed for the federal government, it, it's almost like the template was replicate your organizational chart in your, in your website. That doesn't really help you if you're not a member of the org and you don't know what uh, what the office names are to able to look for something. Uh, at local government, one of the things I love to look at it, at different sites is whatever they want to call special trash trip pickup or you know you have something that you want. Uh, again, when when I see them listed by org chart, you have to figure out okay, is it in the office of public works? Is it in public safety? Where would it be? And then what do they call it? Uh, not everybody calls it special pickup. Uh, you know, so you shouldn't make your citizens have to know your organization to be able to find the information that they want. And I think that's something that AI is going to really help modernize the websites. I know when we rebuild ours, we're going to focus on four personas that, that are the vast majority of our users. And so instead of looking by office, They'll be able to look like I'm, I'm a citizen. I want to consider federal employment. What should I know? And they'll be able to follow a path. Or I'm a current federal employee and I want to make a change to my benefits. What's the time frame to do that? Or I'm a retiree. And the last one, our, our HR professionals want to know. OPM's been doing a lot of new innovations on different types of hiring. Do I know all the hiring authorities? So. You know, instead of being based by office, we're going to have a, a website based on those four personas. That's really interesting, too. We we had a discussion with Melvin Brown, and so that was also a wonderful podcast, and I'll link to that for our listeners. But he said that OPM has to deal, that it deals with four generations. Um, and that 
in and of itself is quite unique. So, you know, the federal government has some unique challenges, but that itself was quite unique because you can't always do away with technology that maybe organizations got, you know, rid of 20 years ago, like a fax Mm -hmm. machine, for example, because you're servicing four generations of folks. So it is always interesting, you know, to kind of hear those unique challenges and how you are working around that to be modern and to modernize your systems while still also being able to be broad, you know, broad enough for everybody to service. So it is it is interesting and it's it's unique. That's why we always love to hear uh, from the public sector with their challenges. Yes, but on your example, just because somebody at home might have a 20-year-old fax machine, it doesn't mean that on the receiving end, I need to have a fax machine. Wouldn't it be better if I had an electronic mailbox that got that fax and sent it to Guy uh, in email and was the digital image so there's no paper involved? So we can still leverage technology, but we don't have to mimic the technology. We don't have to have Windows XP computer uh, you know, on our network because somewhere some somebody still is running that. Uh, what we have to do is make sure that they have the ability to access us, but hopefully modernize our technology on our end to receive it. Yeah, and that is that is great insights as well, where you don't you don't need to have every single technology from the past, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 years, just because a few people have that. So yeah, otherwise you'll never be able to move forward, right? Uh, yes, this is digital transformation to, at its finest here. Yeah. yeah we, we tend to excel at that though. Usually government has one of everything. <laughs> yeah. This has been such a wonderful discussion and I want to thank you so much. But before we wrap up, we always ask our guests the same question because you're able to bring your unique experiences um, to this answer. And so we always get such varied responses. What do you see or hope to see as the future of technology and innovation in the government? Well, like I started off, uh, uh, I, I love the fact that technology is different every day. It's what gets me up for my job. Uh, you know, people ask you, guy, why have you been doing this for so many years? But, you know, aren't you tired of it? It's like, no, I can't wait because tomorrow there's going to be something new that I don't know about yet and I want to learn about it. Uh, But again, to me, as much as I love the technology evolution uh, at work, it has to be, how can this improve our citizen services? It could be cool, but if it doesn't help somebody uh, deal with OPM better or to get a retirement payment faster, then it's something cool to do in leisure time, but it doesn't apply at work. Uh, I think AI will have a very big impact on government performance. Uh, And it'll be one of those technologies that you can use at home and also use at at work. Um, You know, other technologies will come along that maybe uh, only only are useful for a a citizen and not necessarily for government. So I I think our, our role going forward is we have to evaluate the many technology evolutions that will continue to come and pick the ones that will have the biggest impact on our citizens. And those are the ones that we can uh, invest in. Yeah, that those are great insights. And like I had said earlier, we're, we're bullish on AI too. We really think it's a transformative technology. And so yeah. with any transformative technology, there's tremendous benefits, 
but there's also some challenges that you need to be aware of. And so we always say, you know, use technology as a tool to help you move forward um, and, and use it to the best of its ability, you know, still, still keep humans in the loop. Don't totally, don't totally like lose your brain because you're using AI, but, but yes, it's going to have some tremendous impact. So thank you so much for being on this podcast. This was such a wonderful discussion and I, I'm sure our listeners will love this just as much as I've enjoyed uh, hearing it. So for our listeners, if you have not subscribed to the Gov Future podcast, I encourage you to do so, so you can get notified of all of our upcoming episodes, including some wonderful uh, guests that we have lined up. And also make sure to rate our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. If you haven't done so already, become a member of GovFuture to take advantage of all that the community has to offer. You can go to govfuture.com slash join to learn more and to join, and I'll link to that in the show notes as well. And additionally, we have great resources if you're looking to gain additional insight on the range of technology that we discussed in this podcast and on other topics as well. Go to govfuture.com slash resources to check out all that we have, which is tailored just for you, our GovFuture listeners. To view this episode's show notes, find additional episodes, subscribe to this podcast, and join the fastest growing community of government innovators, go to govfuture.com slash podcast. This sound recording and its contents are copyright GovFuture, all rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod. Thanks for listening to the GovFuture podcast and catch you at the next episode.